Well, hello, and it is eight. We're in lesson eight of this uh, Ephesians in a Month of Lunches. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. I've enjoyed studying this out with fresh eyes and different perspectives I'm getting. Uh, as we're going through the book of Ephesians, if you're following us on Heartland at home or following our, or you're attending our campuses anywhere, you'll know that if in real time we're going through the book of Romans on Sundays, <clears throat> and there's a lot of similarities because we talked about the book of Ephesians having seed form of almost the entirety of the gospel message. And Romans just builds solidness to that gospel message and gives us assurance of our faith and our salvation and, and just builds us up and stabilizes things. So it's a really good combination. And I encourage you, if you are watching this and you don't attend a Heartland campus, check out the past messages and look up the Romans uh, series. It's a really good really good supplement to it. They, they kind of build each other up. Okay, so we left off in verse 15, so we're going to kick off right at 16. It says, together, in chapter 2, together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God. Remember the groups he's talking about are Jews and Gentiles who were hostile to each other before and did not mix. And the Gentiles had to go through a lot of hoops to just be able to associate with the Jews in their religion, and they still were not fully accepted no matter what they did. But it says it reconciles both groups to God by means of Jesus' death, His death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death too. So it's not only was Jesus put to death on that cross and our sins and everything was on there, but the enmity of entire groups of people was put on there as well. Racism was put on there as well. All these things just, just were put to death on the cross. It is the, it is the wonderful, great divide. I mean, people look at the Old Testament, and I always tell them, you know, parts of the Old Testament, what is still valid in the New Testament, you run it through the cross. You run it through the cross, and either the cross will change it, like alter it somehow, it will um, do away with it, or it will be unaltered. For instance, if you look at the sacrificial systems, it goes through the cross. It's, it's, it's altered in a sense. The, the sacrifice we offer is the fruit of our lips, but we don't go and sacrifice animals anymore because Jesus was the sacrifice. And as we go through, even the sacrifice, our lips are coming because of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. He was the final sacrifice. Um, if we look at something uh, like prayer, it was altered a little bit. Uh, uh, you prayed to God, now we pray to God in Jesus' name. And so, so there's different things that we're looking at. When it comes to the Jew and Gentile divide, that was completely obliterated by the cross. And so that was where he was going at with this part. So it says there, you know, we live in a world where it says everybody has their own truth and disagreeing with someone else's truth actually is an act of hostility. Uh, word crimes, um, microaggressions, all these little things. You can, you can be aggressive to someone without even trying and they treat it as if you ex actually were violent with somebody. Um, and the hostility, anger, retaliation, and violence against somebody is justified in those cases. 
And that's, what, that's where the world goes to, is they're trying to find their own system as justice. They're trying to find their own way to make sense of the world around them. And when you do that without Jesus, you have no true north, like a compass without a true north is worthless. You have no true north without Jesus, and so they're trying to find truth in all the wrong places. Uh, the answer to bring real change in the world took place over 2,000 years ago, and it took place on a cross. The cross reconciles anyone, and it brings it to him to become part of his body. His body brings peace and unity in it. So verse 17, it says, He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away, and the peace to the Jews who were near. So the gospel is a gospel of peace no matter what culture it's reaching out to. You look all through the Bible and even through history before and after the time of the Bible, God will reach each culture in a way that's relevant to that culture. He will not violate His word. Holiness is still holiness. Truth is still truth. Love is still love. His love. Faith is still faith. You always have to go through those, but he will find ways to reach a culture in a way that, that means something to that culture. That's why when you study different books of the Bible, you're trying to understand the culture that it was written to and the people it was written to and what message was being written to them so that we can look at that and apply it to our lives here in 2024. Um, but he, he's looking at Jews and Gentiles, and it wasn't where the Gentiles became Jews or became part of the Jews because at this time... There were Jews that believed that Gentiles had to become Jews to get saved. You could become a Jew, then you can become a Christian. Uh, which we know that that is not what the Bible says at all. And now we see two things, Jews and Gentiles, that absolutely did not mix, were being brought together. And we see that, uh, so you think of things that don't mix, like oil and water. They just don't mix, right? But if you add an emulsifier to them, that causes a reaction to bring them together and they gel together. And oil and water with an emulsifier, you get margarine that actually comes together. Jesus' death on that cross is the ultimate emulsifier that brings in all people groups together. Gets rid of the hostility when you let the cross work its peace and unity inside your heart and your life. Uh, and it takes care of a lot of the things there. And it's not to say that there aren't injustices that need to be addressed in this world but the first place we look to is to get justice between us and God and then when we get justice between us and God it helps us to deal with the other injustices in the world with God's love in our heart and God's truth in our heart all right so uh, access to God through Christ is what we're looking at here in verse 18 now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. So, it's like when, when Jesus died, He took our righteous attempts. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags, which is a nice way to put it because the word actually means our righteousness are the rags that women would use when they went through their mon monthly menstruation cycle. That's, that's what that connotation is. That's what our own attempts to get right with God and to be a good person, look like to God. It's, it's just, it's unacceptable. But Jesus is taking that on the cross and paying our price. 
after living a sinless life, then he gives us his righteousness. And we actually are robed with his righteousness. So what this verse is talking about is we can come to the Father because of what Jesus has done. Jesus actually robes us. He gets us ready. He's like someone getting you ready to see the king. Make sure you're dressed properly and cleaned up. He prepares us for, for see, going to the king. He brings us in and the king sees us robed in the righteousness of his son. And Jesus says, this is one of our, this is one of our adopted family members. And, they, and we become part of the family as Jesus presents us there. And so the, disposi the disposition toward us goes from enmity and, a, and, a, and a, almost a adversarial thing with God to being a uh, person who has peace with God. And through Jesus and the power of the gospel, God sees us every bit as a member of his family as he does see Jesus as a member of his family. Uh, and it, it literally is, we're adopted with full rights and privileges, which is where we, we talk about the treasures available to us. Uh, spiritually, it's, it's just amazing. So now we see the church as God's temple. And it says in verse 19, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. That means if you're a Jew and you get saved or a Gentile and you get saved, the emulsifier comes in and brings you into one body. There's unity there. And you're no longer uh, adversaries with God or with each other. You are citizens along with all the other holy people of God members of God's family. So we're seeing each other as citizens of God's new kingdom and united, and, and we're brothers and sisters, and that's why we can say brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and really mean it. There are many times where the closest people in our lives might be people that we go to church with. So sometimes we have a stronger relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ than we do with our aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters in the, in, in the regular world. We, we might love them and have good relations with them, but the connection we have with Christians is unlike anything else. And that's because Jesus unites us and brings us together. Uh, real quick, just to, just to bring this point home, I want to look at John chapter 17 in the New, New Living Translation. Jesus is getting ready. This is after the Last Supper, and Jesus is getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and then be arrested and crucified. And he knows all this is coming. And so he's talking to his disciples, you know, and before he's saying, you know, I am the vine, you the branches, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. He's saying, this is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. Uh, if you love me, you'll keep my command. All this stuff was in there. I'm going to send you an advocate, the comforter. He'll lead you into all truth. He, gets, he goes through all these things that are really important he wants to say to them before he goes to the cross. And then he starts to pray for them. And this is Jesus' prayer in verse 1 of chapter 17 of the book of John. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. Now that is a model we can follow. We give glory back to God. When He, when he changes us, it's, it's, it's His glory in, is represented in us, and we just glorify Him and give it back to Him. Um, for you have given Him, and Jesus is praying about Himself in this, 
you have given him, Jesus, authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to the earth. So there has to be no is that intimate knowledge where you're, you're going in presented as a member of the family. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the gate. He's the path to the Father. And that's the only way. There's no illegitimate path to God that God will ever accept. And it says, And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the one, only one and tr true God, and Jesus Christ, when you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And we just saw in Ephesians 2, 9 and 10, you know, we are his workmanship created for good work in Christ, which he established before the earth was established for us to do. Us completing the work that God gave us to do is how we give glory to him. That's why it's so important that we don't just go out and try to do good things. We get saved, we look and ask God, what do you have for me to do? How can I fulfill the work that you've given me to do? Because you're going to give me the grace and the strength to do it. But also, that's the only way that I can bring glory to you in what I do with my life is to do what you sent me here to do, what you created me to do. And, and, that, and the Bible says in Romans that anything that's not of faith is sin. And the thing is, we can be accessing by faith the grace to do our everyday work, to have conversations with our neighbors, and we're walking in the grace and the fullness of God, and we're giving the glory to God just by being who He created us to be and to do what He created us to do. Uh, it goes on to say in verse 6, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that I have is a gift from you. So Jesus stripped himself of, of his God attributes on this earth and functioned just as we do with the gifts of the Spirit and you see the fruit of the Spirit. But he, every, he's saying everything I have is a gift from you. Um, and then it goes on and says, My prayer, verse 9, is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. And I love this, going on in verse 17, he says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus' sacrifice allows us to be made holy through the word of God working in our lives. And in case you're thinking he's just praying to the disciples, verse 20, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through this message, through their message. I pray that they will all be one. There's that unity, just as you and I are one. As you are mine, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So how does the world know that Jesus is sent by God? Because of the love and the unity of the Christians within the church. This is an amazing thing if you think about it. And it says, may, they be, may the Christians be in us so that the world believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. Not only that, listen to this next part, and that you love them as much as you love me. 
that blew my mind when I first captured that. That not only are we given this perfect unity that lets the world know that Jesus is real and that was sent by God, but also that we can know that God loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. And, it's, and if we think about it logically, who was on the cross? Us or Jesus? God allowed him to be a substitute for us because he saw us as loved as much as he loves his son. It says, Father, I want these whom you've given me to be where, with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. Where is Jesus? He's seated in heavenly places. Where are we seated? In heavenly places with him. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples you know sent me. I have revealed them to you and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. And we're going to stop there today. But what a powerful way to end our study. I'll see you tomorrow.